Good morning to each one of you. Uh, I, uh, there, there's some opportunities in life that don't come often and they may never come again and so uh, I'm going to take advantage of one. I'll try not to be as long-winded as my son. <laughs> uh, the sermon title, uh, The Presence of God in the Time of Need, and uh, Wendy, boy, she's, she's really uh, keeping our feet to the fire, and she said I, I'm to come up with a verse for my sermon, which I try to do anyway, but, uh, but yeah, she keeps me on my toes. So uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. As we look at scripture, uh, there's a lot given to us, and sometimes there's, there's little windows into people's lives that uh, make us wonder why that. Uh, we know not everything was recorded about everybody, but there were uh, situations recorded for a purpose. And so I would like this morning to look at four men and see what we can learn from the little window God has chosen to give us uh, in their, their time of need. Now, some of these stories are lengthy, and uh, we won't read all of them, but uh, they're familiar, and I will kind of uh, tell the story in my own words to, uh, to save some time. We'll go first to 1 Samuel 30. Uh, King David, uh, David was fleeing uh, from Saul with his, his band of men, and, and he was going about living wherever he felt was safe and, and moving often. And uh, this situation that we're looking at here this morning, he was actually living with the Philistines. Now, if you know anything about David and his history, he, uh, he killed a lot of Philistines in his time. Uh, but now here he's living with them. In, in their land. And uh, he's living under Achish, king of Gath, who made David his personal bodyguard. Now, isn't that amazing? Uh, just not long before this, you know, he had, he had uh, went out and had a mighty victory, killed many Philistines and as he came back, the women were singing, Saul kills thousands, David ten thousands. Uh, this is the same guy. But now he's, he's living here in the land of the Philistines, and he's a personal bodyguard of King Achish. At this time, David had around 600 men, and him and his family, and these 600 men and their families were living in a city of uh, Ziklag, that King Achish had given to him. Here's a place where you can live. And so they were living there in that city. Well, David went uh, with his men, along with the Philistines, into battle. And on the way, the, the Philistines said, hey, this is not going to work. We can't have these Hebrews along to go fight Israel. It, this, this is uh, crazy, I guess they thought. And uh, so... King Achish, uh, with some pain, went and told David, no, you need to go back. You, you can't go with us. 
And so they went back, and it was a three days journey, and when they got back uh, is where we'll pick up the story, what they found when they got back to their city with their, where their families and everything were. Psalm, 1 Samuel uh, 30, verse 1, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziglag, and smitten Ziglag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives and that were therein. They slew not, not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, and the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So here's just a little window. We have, we have a lot of stories about David, and, and I'm sure there's a lot that we don't have record of, but here's a little window into a time in David's life where he was, he was very discouraged. Uh, these men, uh, just to take a few minutes and, and uh, say a little bit about Saul's men. Scripture, again, gives some details about these, these guys that, that David uh, had around him, his, his own personal bodyguard. Uh, they were quite amazing, amazing men that were thinking of turning on him and stoning him. And, and I uh, will butcher these names, but uh, Adino, maybe, uh, he lifted up his spear against 800, whom he slew at one time. One against 800. Shammah was uh, on a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. And slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Again, one against many. The three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out before the Lord. David was thirsty for that water he remembered, drinking back uh, when he was a boy, and his three mighty men broke through the enemy lines to get some water, um, put their lives in danger, but they apparently were confident they could do it. Benaniah, who had done many acts, so it's saying he did many things. Here's a few is what it sounds like. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. Also, he went down and slew a lion in a pit 
in a snowy day. And he slew an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits high. And in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These are the kind of men that were now looking at David and saying, you know, we think this is your fault. We're going to stone you. You know, just an hour or maybe minutes before, they would have laid down their lives for David. They would have done anything, anywhere, to anyone that tried to touch David. But now they were thinking of stoning him. Scripture doesn't say they had stones in their hands, but it does indicate they were in their thoughts and their hearts. A very different situation than not long before when, you know, the women were singing, you know, you killed ten thousands. And they were greeting, it was greeting uh, the warriors coming back from a victorious battle with singing and dancing and, and singing the praises of David and his courage. Years later, when David uh, was old and was fleeing from his son Absalom, uh, these same men, you know, David said, hey, I'm going to go with you to battle. By this time, he was an old man. And they said, no, you're not going with us. You're worth 10,000 of us. That's the kind of love they had for David. But here, in this situation, they were about to stone him. No, David's friends didn't all run away. They were standing right there. They were crowded around him, but he, he felt alone in the crowd. But God was present and encouraged David in his, in his time of need. Years later, he, he died, surrounded by his, his faithful men. So we can learn from David that God is present, consistent, faithful, always, regardless of where people are. Elijah. Uh, Elijah's an amazing man. His, his whole life seems to be surrounded with just one miracle after another. Uh, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three, three and a half, New Testament says three and a half years. Uh, that's quite a miracle in itself. And during that time, he was fed by ravens uh, till the brook dried up. And then he went and lived with this widow, and her oil and meal just did not get all. And she fed him uh, a long time, as well as herself and her son. Then Elijah reappears, and they have that, that big contest on Mount Carmel to determine who really is God. Is it God the creator, or is it Baal? And, of course, God proved that he was God, and the prophets of Baal were killed. 
Elijah prays for rain, and it pours. Jezebel hears about this, that her prophets were killed, and now she's threatening to kill Elijah. So let's go to uh, 1 Kings and, and look at uh, that story a bit. 1 Kings 19. First Kings 19, starting at verse 3. This is when uh, David realized, or when uh, Elijah realizes that his life is in danger and Jezebel's out to get him. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay down and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and he beheld, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Notice the miracle there, 40 days in, in that strength. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in that, okay, verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and he beheld the word of the Lord, came to him and said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thy altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and breaking pieces of rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. We'll, we'll stop right there. Um, here, Elijah is, uh, I think it's safe to say, a, a, a bit discouraged, uh, feeling feeling very much alone. Uh, he, he senses the presence of God, which I'm sure is, is a, a comfort to him. Uh, here, 
God, the, the following verses there, God gives him direction, what he's supposed to do, and, uh, and then assures him that there are 7,000 people that are faithfully serving God and not Baal. Now, how that's possible, and Elijah didn't know that, uh, uh, we could look at Obadiah. I, I remembered reading about Obadiah in this, uh, in this story, but it kind of hit me in a new way. Here was this, this faithful man who was in charge of a wicked King Ahab's household. Um, and he was an amazing godly man. Uh, back in chapter 18, it says... Uh, that he was uh, a godly man, he feared the Lord, and when Jezebel was uh, not, uh, yeah, when Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred of the, of the prophets and hid them in, in two caves, fifty in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. Uh, it doesn't say, but it would it was right in the context of this three-year famine and to provide food and water for a hundred men uh, is no small feat. I mean, you know how hard this widow was uh, striving to um, feed just herself and her young son. But here, somehow, Obadiah is, is caring, if it is the same time, is caring for a hundred men with food and water. Uh, so... Elijah knew about him, uh, but maybe he was just too discouraged to think rationally. I don't know. But, uh, but he was obviously discouraged. But God was present there with Elijah and uh, met his need. And, and we want to remember a lesson from this story that uh, what we're feeling is not always reality. Uh, 7,000 people is a lot of people. And uh, that was somehow uh, a reality that Elijah was not thinking of at the time. Elijah goes on and, and uh, carries out the instructions that God had given him. And he puts uh, Elisha in place. God sends a whirlwind and a chariot of fire and brings Elijah home uh, to his eternal reward. Now we'd like to go to John the Baptist. Uh, a lot of times scripture kind of indicates, you know, some similarity between John the Baptist and Elijah. But there's a lot of differences too, and we want to look at some of those. Uh, John the Baptist is someone where we're quite familiar with. We know how he prepared the way of the Lord. Uh, he was a cousin or some relative of, of Jesus. And uh, he was there and, and preached repentance and baptized people and kind of paved the way for Jesus, baptized Jesus. And at that point, there was a switch. The crowds had been following John the Baptist, and now they were following uh, Jesus. 
And John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. And, and that, is, that is exactly what happened. Uh, at some point, John the Baptist was put in prison. And, and he knew why. He had spoke the truth to the powers that be, and, and he ended up in prison. It appears like sitting there in prison, uh, John uh, started having some doubts, was discouraged. So he calls two of his disciples and says, uh, go ask Jesus, art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Are you really the Christ, or did we misunderstand? Likely, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth taught John as he was growing up the stories of the Old Testament prophets. He probably knew all about Elijah and all the miracles and the whirlwind and the chariot of fire. And he probably thought of that, you know, if there'd be an earthquake and these prison doors would come open and a whirlwind would come and take me up and a chariot of fire take me into heaven, just like Elijah, that would just be wonderful. But here he was uh, about to lose his head. Did he know that? Well, maybe not, but he, he probably did know that that is a possibility. I mean, he knew what happens. Uh, life was pretty cheap in the whole Roman government structure. And uh, he probably had to know that that was a possibility. Well, these disciples come back and, and tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And then Jesus adds this, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. I, I hear Jesus telling John here, yes, I am the Christ, and you will be blessed if your head gets cut off and you don't get the whirlwind and the chariot of fire and, and everything Elijah got. You will be blessed if you are willing to accept that. And I am confident that... Uh, God had a special blessing for those two faithful disciples that stood by John and cared for him. And I'm confident that John felt God's presence when the soldiers came to take his head, uh, that God gave him the strength to the end. The fourth person we'd like to look at is Paul. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, now we know that uh, Paul had a very uh, special relationship with Timothy. I think he saw uh, Timothy's situation, a godly young man, that did not have a godly father, it would appear 
that Paul uh, saw his role as filling in that gap and being the godly father that, that Timothy didn't have. And therefore, there was a, a special relationship there. Now, we, we know lots of stories about Paul, and we won't look at all of those. Uh, Paul, at this point in his life, is, is a pretty elderly man. Uh, he's lived most of his life, and, and he indicates that in this second letter to Timothy that, that I'm, I'm not going to be around much longer. Uh, that uh, here's some final instructions to you. Uh, and, and he shares some personal things with Timothy. And, and I don't know, uh, you know, sometimes in Scripture we wonder, you know, we believe it's God's inspired word, but, you know, remember the coat. <laughs> Bring me that coat. Uh, did, did Paul know that thousands of years later we would be here, Gladys talking about that coat? <laughs> He was supposed, you know, so, so I'm not always sure what to do with why the Holy Spirit thought it was important that we know that Timothy was supposed to bring that coat uh, when he comes. However, there are, there are things here that a little window into, into Paul's life that, that I think bears uh, some pondering. In chapter 4, verse 16, he says this. At, he, he talks about a number of people, some that have uh, left the faith and some that have gone to different places. It sounds like some he sent, others went, is kind of the impression you get. And some people that were uh, opposing him. And then he says this in verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us that that Paul's friends had promised to stand by him or anything like that. Jesus' disciples did. They promised they wouldn't forsake him, but they did. Uh, scripture doesn't say that about these men. But it does appear that uh, Paul felt alone and, and deserted. Paul had learned through the years how how quickly people can change. Back when he was at Lystra, him and Barnabas were there and they healed a crippled uh, man. And just like that, the people decided, hey, these are the gods have come to us and, and they got some bullocks around and they were going to have a sacrifice uh, to these gods that have showed up. And... And... Paul and Barnabas went to great lengths to stop this before it went any farther. And then the next verse, 
it, uh, verse 18, Acts 14, verse 18 says, and with these sayings, this was Paul pleading with his people not to do this, and he, he used it as an opportunity to preach a sermon. And, he's, and it, the scripture says this, and with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. That's verse 18. Now listen to verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city and supposed he had been dead. So quickly, people that were going to worship Paul uh, stoned him and, and thought he was he was dead. Some time earlier, he had experienced this in reverse. Uh, they were shipwrecked on the island of Melita, and uh, they everyone survived. And they, it's, the scripture says, these people were barbarians, but they were kind, and they built a fire, and. All these people coming out of the ocean were wet and cold, and so they built this fire to help warm them up and dry them off, and Paul was being helpful, gathering sticks, and he threw some sticks on the fire, and a snake comes out and, and bites him, and he shakes it off into the fire. And immediately these barbarians connect this, and he was a murderer, and now he's going to die from a snake bite because they recognized the snake and they knew people die. And so they watched him, but he didn't die. And he must be a god because he doesn't die. So quickly they uh, go from he's a murderer to he's a god. And then he stayed there on that island for some time and they healed people um, and and had a, a wonderful time there with, with the people there on, on that island. Now, in both those situations, it doesn't appear that these people that were changing their minds about Paul were, were followers of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't indicate that at all. But here in Rome, it was his own, own Christian brothers that had forsook him. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So God was present there with Paul, and, and he was encouraged. Scripture doesn't tell us how, how Paul died. History would say that, that he was beheaded sometime later. So I think uh, a few things we want to, to gather uh, from these men. You know, King, King David was, was a fearless warrior, and that that is proven time and time again throughout his life. But here he found himself alone in a crowd that were supposed to be his friends, but they were about to stone him. But God was present, and David was encouraged. Elijah, the fearless prophet that, that did so many wonderful things, thought he was alone, but God was present and assured him that there's 7,000 faithful people like you. John the Baptist, uh, Jesus gives a resounding endorsement of John the Baptist after the two disciples came and wondered 
And he says, you go back and tell John this. And so they're on their way back. And then Jesus uh, tells the crowd how, how wonderful a man John the Baptist is. And, uh, but he's sitting in prison discouraged. He had two faithful friends. Uh, and he was assured that Jesus is the Christ. He took the right question to the right person. That's one of the lessons we can learn from John the Baptist. When we have questions, we take those questions to the right person, and, and that is Jesus. Paul was a faithful missionary. Uh, you can't overemphasize that reality in Paul's life. Um, but he felt forsaken by his Christian brothers and had to face a difficult situation alone. But God was present and strengthened Paul in in that situation. So I think the, the lessons we can learn from the little window God gives us into these men's lives is that people may or may not be faithful, but God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, in trouble. And we do well to to remember that. Thank you.